Come on, just say those words. Hallelujah. You have overcome. So God, we declare today that every high thing has to come down. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That those things that start to set itself higher than God, we say, high thing, come down today. Those thoughts that say, I'm going to die. I'm not going to have a job. I'll not be provided for. All those high, th- high things that have exalted themselves, 2 Corinthians 10, over and above the knowledge of God, we say, come down today. Through Jesus, we have overcome. Through the blood of the Lamb, we have overcome. And we declare today, through you, because of the blood, because of the word of our testimony, and because we didn't love our lives so much as to shrink back from death, Revelation 12.10, we have overcome today. You made the promise to us because I overcame, because I got the victory, because I overcame, you will overcome also. Thank you that we are connected to Jesus. You are the head. We are your body. If you win, we win also. And we thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. What a joy. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ivory, for reminding us of this. We're so happy today that you're here to join us live at TSC. What a great joy from around New York City, around the country, and even around the world. We welcome you. I want you for the next few minutes to get your Bible ready. And I want you just to listen because I want to challenge you with something today that has been a challenge for me. You know, every time I get a new Bible, um, I do something every single time with that new Bible. So it's, it's in this one that I have right here. I write something in the very, in the, right inside the first thing I write in my Bible. It's a poem. In fact, it's a poem from a convict that was in jail 500 years ago. His poem not only challenges me, but, it, but one of his books has challenged me. It's the man who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's John Bunyan. When John Bunyan was in jail, he wrote a poem that is in countless number of Bibles that I have. And let me read it to you, this 500-year poem from John Bunyan. And it says this, There was a man, and they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Just think of that for a second, because it's almost, it just doesn't make sense, the end of it. At least it doesn't make sense if, if you don't understand kingdom principles. The more he gave, the more he had. Those that understand generosity, those that understand um, what God does when we tithe or when we give to him, understand the concept of that. Because it almost seems like a contradiction. The more he gave, the more he had. That's why people thought the man was mad. See, the English language does that. We have words and phrases in our English language that doesn't even seem to make sense at times. I mean, when, when you put them together, they almost seem contradictory. Let me, let me show you a few of them. Okay, think about this. A ship carries cargo and a car carries shipments. That doesn't seem to make sense. It should be the other way around. How about this one? You park on a driveway, but you drive on a parkway. That one doesn't even seem to make sense. Contradiction. This is, this is what my kids love. When, why does your nose run and your feet smell? That doesn't even make sense at all. Or how about this one? Listen, I'm sorry about all, all you financial people. The man who invests all your money is called a broker. I think I'd get somebody else to help me with my finances. Or even worse than that, why do, you, why do doctors call what they do practice? Shouldn't be, they be good at it by now? I don't want a doctor practicing. I'm hoping he's a professional. I mean, think about this. 
these words seem to be so far off from the things that they are describing. It's as silly as there's no egg in eggplant, there's no ham in hamburger, and neither is there a pine nor an apple in a pineapple. And if you're from New York City like we are, we still don't understand why you have round pizzas and square pizza boxes. Think how crazy all this is. All these contradictions that seem to come our way, they're almost conundrums. Can those items and their descriptions be that far off? This is exactly what happened to Jesus that I want to challenge you with today. Him and his disciples are sitting in a room. They all see the very exact same thing. Just before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus and his disciples begin to see the same exact event, but their definition of it was so far apart of what they described it and what Jesus described it. It's not just silly on what you're about to see here in Matthew 26. It really is contradictory. It's as silly as these words and phrases that we just read. Let me read it to you. It's Matthew 26, 6. Jesus now proceeded to Bethany, to the home of Simon the leper. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a bottle of very expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant. Listen to these words, their definition. What a waste of good money. They said, why should she have sold? She she could have sold it for a fortune and given it to the poor. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why are you criticizing her? For she has done, Jesus' definition, a good thing to me. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for, for the burial. And she will always be remembered for this deed. The story of what she has done will be told throughout the whole world wherever the good news is preached. Okay, think for just a moment of the contradiction. This is Jesus's interpretation of the act and then the disciples' interpretation of the act. Here it is. Verse eight, the disciples' interpretation, what a waste. Jesus's interpretation, verse 10, this is a good thing. Think of it again. Verse eight, waste. Verse 10, this is good. All based on seeing the same exact thing happen at the same time. And all that went through my mind were these words. How can you be so far off? Think of this for just a moment. Listen to the comparison. The New International Version calls it a beautiful thing in verse 10. The message says something wonderfully significant and almost every version and translation translates verse eight as this, what a waste. What's incredible is you have two views of the same deed, waste and good, and they are so far apart from one another. And, and what goes through my mind today is this. Can somebody who's been with Jesus for three years, this isn't, this isn't just one of them, it said the disciples said this. Can someone have been with Jesus for three years and still be that far off, listening to him speak, listening to him work miracles, being with him, hearing, hearing God in the flesh begin to speak? And then I thought even deeper. Can I be with Jesus for almost four decades and still be far off and misinterpret things? Can I, can I look at events that are happening around me? Can I see pandemics and the civil unrest and the injustices that are going on? And, and, and could be in the next few days, New York um, may be facing a hurricane even coming our way. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I interpreting? What is, what is my interpret? What am I laying over these things? And could my interpretations be that far off than what, the way God sees these things? Can, can I be off on kingdom things even that bad? 
Can we be that far off on the way that we're seeing things happening? Who's right? And I thought to myself, why? And here's what's amazing. We're fulfilling Jesus's prophecy today. Remember what Jesus said? He said, what she did, that gift, this act will be preached whenever the gospel will be preached, the good news. What this woman did is going to be mentioned also. And let me just remind you, 2,000 years later, we're preaching about this woman and what she did. Her gift, her gift, her sacrifice outlived her. And we're still talking about this woman. You know, it was interesting. When Steve Jobs died some years ago, um, a, a commercial that kind of launched Apple in the 90s um, found a reprisal on YouTube. It was the 1997 um, commercial that they started to show. It went viral. It was the rebranding of Apple at that time. And the tagline of the commercial was simply this, think different. It began, it began with a collage of, um, and, and photographs and film footage of people who've invented and inspired, who created and sacrificed to improve the world. People that literally made a difference. They showed everyone from musicians to um, Amelia Earhart, Frank Lloyd Wright, from Dr. King to Jim Henson, from Picasso all the way to Einstein. And these images began to have a poem that began to, to speak to all of this. This is what the commercial said. Let me just read it to you. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some may see them as crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the worlds are the ones that do it. Can I just tell you about this Matthew 26 woman? She's one of the crazy ones. She's one of the ones that wouldn't stay with status quo. That's what I want to be. When it comes to Jesus, I want to be one of the crazy ones because he's worth it. I heard one person tell the story that when, they, when someone asked them and told them and made a declaration over their life, they said, you take this Jesus thing too seriously, to which they responded, well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is Jesus took me pretty seriously when he died for me on the cross. This woman, listen to me, this woman took Jesus seriously and really became one of the crazy ones. What did Jesus see in this act that none of the other disciples, this isn't, this isn't Pharisees and Sadducees, these are disciples, the people that walked with him. What made it beautiful and significant? What made it a good thing that these men were missing it and called it even a waste? I, I, I wanna just walk you through three things to maybe adjust our definitions to maybe see things the way Jesus sees them. And, to, and, to, and, and maybe even to come to the realization, I may be far off on the way that I'm interpreting and even declaring things. I, what did Jesus see that the disciples did not with this woman's gift? And maybe this can help begin to bring us a little bit closer to the way Jesus defines things, to the way Jesus sees life, to the way Jesus interprets I don't, want to be on the, I don't want to be on the wrong side of interpretation. I don't want to call something a waste that God goes, that's good. I don't want to be on the wrong side. And maybe today, between waste and good, between disciples' definition and Jesus's, maybe we can gain some ground in that and go, God, give us your mind. 
God, give us your heart. God, let us begin to see the things through your eyes and the way you do it. Let, let me tell you a couple things that I saw here that I think is the challenge for us as we begin to look through this today. So let me give them to you. Jot these down, whether it's on a phone or a piece of paper, because I'm hopefully these will become those things that can go, God, let me see this the way you do. Let me see this the way you do. And maybe we need to whisper that sometimes from seeing the poor begging on the street to seeing, to see, to, to interpreting what we're facing even as a country. May we see it the way God sees it. Here's the first thing I saw upon that I think Jesus began to, to teach the disciples why this is good and not a waste. Number one, it had the extravagance. I like this word. It had the extravagance of God on it. I love that word extravagance. It's, it's a word that means to spare no expense. It's a lack of restraint in using resources. It means to be, to be elaborate. See, God is extravagant. He's not wasteful. But God is extravagant. Okay, let's just for a moment, let me explain. Let's take creation just for a moment. When God created, he was extravagant. He was not stingy. He could have created one star, but decided there's enough for the space to be loaded with, you ready for this? A hundred billion stars. He didn't just create one, a hundred billion, a number you couldn't even count up to in your lifetime. Everything he did for us was with extravagance. Think of it, just once again, creation. Take insects for a moment. He spoke in Genesis chapter one and 10 million insects, 10 million species of insects are created. Not a hundred, not a thousand. Do you know what, you know what science tells us? There's 2,500 variations of just ants. And a lot of them are in my house. But understand this. This is incredible. Think of this. 300,000 species of beetles. Extravagance. 5 billion birds in the U.S. And then he got extravagant with their personalities. Some can fly 500 miles nonstop. A mallard duck, 60 miles an hour. An eagle, 100 miles an hour. Falcons, 180 miles an hour. Some of those birds that God created to navigate by the stars. 10,000 species of birds, 28,000 species of fishes. In fact, there is one fish that when it gets hungry, it spits out of the water, knocks the bugs down, and brings it down to the water. That's an extravagant God. How amazing is God? And that's why when God was creating, he was breaking open an alabaster box. He said, I'll spare nothing on the people that I love. I'll spare nothing in the heavens and on the earth. That's why Paul in Romans and David in Psalms says, when you look at the world around you, you can't miss the extravagance of God. This isn't by chance. This isn't a big bang. This is a big God around us. I wonder if that's why Jesus praised this woman. He saw it just like what the father did, and it caught his attention. He saw extravagance. He saw someone that said, this is not wasting. This is God. This is the personality of God on this. I was speaking in California a few years ago, and someone gave me a book and put it in my hotel room as a gift. It was called In the Heart of the World by Mother Teresa. And it was just recounting some of her stories. And as I was going through it, I was reading one at a seminary in Bangalore that a nun said to, to, said to Mother Teresa these words, you're spoiling the poor by giving them free things and they're losing their dignity. You're spoiling the poor. And her response was this, 
When everyone was quiet, she said, I said calmly, no one spoils us as much as God himself. See the wonderful gifts he's given us. And then she said these words, all of you have no glasses on, but yet you can see. What if God was to take money for our sight? What would happen? We're breathing and living on the oxygen that we didn't pay for. What would happen if God would say, if you work for these hours, I'll give you sunshine for these many hours. How many of us would survive? And then she said, there are many congregations that spoil the rich. It's good to have one congregation that spoils the poor. Think of that for a second. Nobody spoils us as much as God does. That's why Jesus saw extravagance on this gift. Jesus saw himself in this gift. Jesus saw creation in this gift. And I love what the reformer Martin Luther said. Listen to these words. A religion that does nothing, that saves nothing, that gives nothing, that costs nothing, that suffers suffers nothing is really worth nothing. God was extravagant. And the most extravagant gift he's ever given to this planet, to me and to you, is the extravagant gift of his son who died on the cross, that we had a chance to celebrate. There was extravagance on this gift. That's why they didn't understand it. The second thing was this, jot this down. It was giving the best with really nothing left. This this is what got me here. See, it was common to offer a small amount of fragrant ointment when someone came into your house to refresh the dinner guests. But But this woman goes beyond the custom and goes beyond the common and goes beyond the ordinary. She pours the whole vial, the whole box on Jesus' head as if she was inaugurating a king to his office. In fact, Jesus was saying later, she was really preparing my body for burial. Think about it for a moment of, of what this woman actually did. This was giving the best with nothing left. Let, let's, let's speak, if, if you allow me, just in kind of New York City terms for just a second. So I'm just going to make up some numbers here. Let, let's say the average salary for those that live in New York City is $30,000, $40,000 a year. Can you imagine giving a $40,000 bottle of perfume, busting it open, and pouring it on Jesus? Think, think of that for just a moment. But what, what would the response be? Because... You think of it, that's how much this thing was worth. In fact, the Mark passage says this about that bottle. It says this in verse four, but some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might've been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor and they were scolding her. See, 300 denarii, that's just not some random um, amount. 300 denarii is one year's wage. That's what she did. Think of that from our terms. One year's wage, whatever you're making, it was giving that complete thing to Jesus. In fact, when I was reading about these, this ointment that she, that she poured on Jesus, we learned that it was a substance called spikenard, a fragrant anointment made from a plant found in the Himalaya mountains of Asia. The bottle's worth was 300 denarii, an amount equal to all what a person does, a working man's salary. But, but why? But why, why all this? Why not? Why not just go down to Dwayne Reed here or CVS where you live, just buy uh, Brute or Stetson from a, from a CVS or Dwayne Reed counter? Why, why, why 300 pence? Why 300 denarii, a year's salary? Why, why not a week's salary or even a month? That would have been good enough. Why, why a year? Why, why did it have to be alabaster? Why not just ceramic or a piece of glass? 
And then why break it? Wouldn't you want to just pour it and then you get to keep the alabaster box, which was probably worth, worth some money. See, that's the problem and that's our challenge today. We give good enough, but we never give with nothing left. That's the challenge that we have today. We, we, we'll give enough, but never give with nothing left. That's what this woman did. When was the, when was the last time that you found yourself, God, God, here it is. They would call it in sports, leaving it out on the floor. Here it is, God, when you worship, when you're watching even online services, when you're beginning to maybe join the men's challenge, the seven-week challenge with the men's and going like, it's, I, I, could, I could go all seven or maybe I just do enough. When was the last time you left it on the floor? I, I saw that. I saw it with my own eyes, someone who worshiped and left it on the floor. When I was pastoring in Detroit, um, in the inner city, I remember one of the precious ladies, a name we used to call her Sister Yvonne, one of the mothers of our church. She, she, her, her, her organs, her lungs were failing and she was on oxygen. In fact, she couldn't walk without losing her breath and they didn't know how long she was going to have. She was in an electric wheelchair with two giant oxygen tanks, a tube going up her nose, and this woman would be there every single Sunday because she didn't know when her life was going to be over. And they'd bring her in on a special wheelchair. The, 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 the um, platform on the van, would this electric, this electric platform would come down, and Sister Yvonne, with just the strength that really was in her hands, just kind of would hit the button and move, and then she would sit in the back and just sing with us. And I remember one Sunday, talk about, talk about somebody that began to give with nothing left. I watched Sister Yvonne in a worship service. The music started just to, just to inspire. Really what was happening here today is Ivory was leading us. You have overcome. You have overcome. There was a sense that we felt here as Ivory was singing that song, and we felt that in Detroit. And we're singing this song, and I'll never forget watching that woman in the back take the only strength that she had left with her thumb, push that button, and move that chair all the way up, coming down the aisle. And some of our ushers and security didn't know what to do. What's going on? What is she doing? We've never seen her do this. She was so filled with God, so filled with wanting to give something to him with nothing left. And she had no strength inside of her body. And I watched this woman, I watched the sister Yvonne, just with, with the only strength that she had, everything that was in her was found in her hands. She couldn't do anything without losing breath and possibly even endangering her life. Push that button, go down. And then all of a sudden, with that thumb, she clicked the button to the side and that chair started to go around in circles in the altar and she started to worship, turning 360s in an electric wheelchair. And all I thought to myself, that's an alabaster box. That's someone who took everything she had inside of her and said, God, here it is. I have nothing left but the working of my hands. And if all I get to do is just to click the toggle switch to the right and turn 360s for you, you are worth it because you are an amazing God. And I agree with the words of the Christian martyr, Jim Elliott, who wrote these words in his journal, jot these down. Forgive me, God, for being so ordinary while claiming to know an extraordinary God that you are. Forgive me for being ordinary with my worship. Forgive me for being ordinary on how I watch online services. The words being preached, and I sit there so ordinary, but God is extraordinary. 
That's the alabaster box. That's, that's, where the, that's where the gap was. That's a waste. This is a good thing that's going to outlive this woman. Let me close with this. She wasn't hindered by calculations. She was motivated by love. And I'll explain this part. She avoided being number 56. Pastor Tim, what does that mean? Just hold on. We'll get there. Some people get hindered by calculations, but this woman was motivated by love. I don't want to be number 56, and this woman wasn't. See, the enemies of extravagant love are those that calculate if it's worth it. They compare, get this down, they compare before they commit. They calculate before they commit. Can we do this? Should we do this? Or do I even really want to do this? How do you know if this person is, if, if this person is the one I'm supposed to marry? Um, well, if I marry her, I can't hang out with my friends. I can't do this. I can't have my own bank. Then, then you're not ready for a commitment. You're not ready for that because it's not motivated by love. It's motivated by calculations. You're hindered by calculations. Do I want to go to this church or to that? I got to drive. I've got to go through the Lincoln Tunnel. I've got to get there. Uh, do I want to watch this? Do I want to watch online or do I, do I go over here to this place? You think just, just for a moment because we get hindered by calculations. This, this one was financial calculations, but I think it goes deeper than that. Your calculating begins to trump being motivated by love. Let me check my schedule. Let me check my nest egg. Let me check if I can do this. Let me check my weekends to see if I want to be part of this. Let me check my Saturdays if I'll join the men's seven-week challenge. Let me, let me begin to do this. An incredible article and story took place in Amesbury, Massachusetts. This is number 56. It was Eileen Taylor told the story. She said every Saturday she goes to Heavenly Donuts in Amesbury. And she said, and something happened one Saturday that blew her mind. When she got up to buy her a dozen donuts for her family, the person at the, at the window said, it's all been paid for, for you. She couldn't even believe it. This was the article said. In fact, the woman told her, she said, you're number 17. The last 16 cars just decided to pay for the person behind them. The article went on to say, it was an amazing day at Heavenly Donuts. 55 straight cars paid for the other person. 55 straight cars. 55 customers rolled through the drive-thru back to back, each paying, each paying for the person's order. And they said sometimes the order would be 20, 30, and even $40 if they were buying it forever. Didn't bother them. They showed generosity. They didn't calculate, but they were motivated by love. I'm going to do this for somebody else. 55 people. Okay, this is, this may be my New York mindset. What I wanted to know when I read that article, who was number 56? Who was the person that stopped this, that didn't think about the person behind them, but thought about themselves? Oh, I'm just getting a coffee. I'm not paying for that one. Think of that for just a moment. Who was 56 that stopped this incredible act of generosity? Someone who was more concerned about them and not seeing what was in front of them. See, in this story, Number 56 exists. This woman was an inspiration to so many except one person. She didn't inspire one person who was in the same room with them because they were doing the calculating. 
Here it is. You ready for the person? Right after Jesus speaks, here's the next verse. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 apostles, went to the chief priest and asked, how much will you pay me to get Jesus into your hands? And they gave him. This is the next verse right after the story. What a contrast. And they gave him 30 silver coins. Wow. All in the same story. 300 pence of an alabaster perfume or 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what 30 pieces of silver equals today? 15 bucks. This is number 56. Jesus is criticizing her sacrifice and yet sells Jesus for 15 bucks. One, you have one person giving it all in the story and another person trying to get whatever he can. We still talk about that lady. And for 15 bucks, 30 pieces of silver. You know, that's why one of our presidents said it best, Calvin Coolidge, when he said no person was ever honored for what he received. They were honored for what they gave. That's what this woman did. Keep this in mind. She never brought up the price of the item she gave. All the others did. She'd never go, here it is, Jesus, I'm giving. She never brought up the price. She's motivated by love. Love doesn't bring up the cost. See, 12 guys, 12 guys did a price check on this gift and came up with this price tag, waste. Their, their price tag was waste. Judas's price tag on the son of God was 15 bucks. I can get 15 bucks for him. There's some people who know the value of everything. In other words, they think they know the real value of everything. Here is how the calculations sometimes go that I don't want to be number 56. I want you just to stop for a moment. Within a month, and I want to challenge some of you. I want you to listen because some of you need to hear this because some of you are kind of moving towards number 56. Some of you may be even nearer to waste than you are even to, towards, towards this is a good thing. I want you to listen for a moment because they're putting a value on something. In less than a month, our Bible school summit is going to be going into session. Dr. Teresa Conlon, who leads this incredible school with, with, with students from all over the world, will be going back into session. We'll be, we'll be adhering to all of the restrictions, and, um, but we want to get Students, and it's not just for young people. You may be watching this today from around the country and around the world and making the calculations and missing the opportunity to do something extravagant with your life. Making the calculations. I, I, I don't have the time. Um, man, I, I've got to pull money out of savings to begin to do this. And it's so reasonable to have the opportunity to do something like this, to go there for two years to be under some amazing teachers. You're going to have Dr. Teresa Conlon there, Pastor Carter Conlon, the overseer of Times Square Church, having the opportunity. And some of you are making the calculations and have even asked people that have almost become your number 56 going like, don't, don't worry about it. And literally holding it. Because what's going to cost you to do something like this, it may cost you to break open an alabaster box. It may cost you to give everything, not just, just do a few things, but to go, here's everything, God. It, it's going to cost you to do something like this. In fact, I want to challenge you today. Don't be number 56, but let God motivate you. Don't base this on calculations. Because when you base it on calculations, you don't end up with this is a good thing. You end up this is a waste. I, I don't want to waste two years of my life and then do a year of an internship. And you don't even know what you're going to miss on this. 
In fact, can I, can I just challenge you today? Maybe this will get you one step away from waste and closer to this is a good thing. Because I just felt this, that some of you may be, may be misinterpreting that God is speaking to you today. Whether you're on the West Coast, whether you're in Norway, whether you're listening from, from down in the Caribbean, whether, whether you're in Mexico today or Brazil, maybe you're listening in California or Washington, even in Texas, that God's speaking to you going like, I, I want you, I want you to give. This is an extravagance. You're going to give three years of your life. Oh, I'm 30 years old. I'm 40 years old. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my This is not a waste. This is giving it to Jesus. This could be, this could be an alabaster box moment. This could be something that God begins to do something so powerful in your life. In fact, I, I want you to just to do something. Would you just take a moment right now? And, and, and even whether, whether you take a picture of it on your, on your phone, uh, with your phone, but I want you just to even consider texting summit, the word summit to 484848, just to get the information. I know you're going like, well, isn't that calculations? Yeah, yeah, it is. But I just want to get you one step closer to maybe what God's calling you to do. Maybe that's your alabaster box. Maybe you're talking to a whole bunch of number 56 people. And maybe you need to talk to people that are going like, man, give it all. Man, this is the extravagance of God. This is not just committing to an online class and just seeing if you like it. This isn't try it and fit it. I want to give everything. I want to do it. I've been around some of those students and they are amazing. And I just want to challenge you with that today. But the most important thing I can tell you today that people will miss between waste and a good thing, waste and beautiful, waste and something that will last forever is really when you deal with eternity. And man, we can be far off with this. We can be far off in interpreting forever. Far off in interpreting heaven. Because the best question you can ask yourself today is this, where will I be a hundred years from today? Because none of us are going to be here, starting with me. And Pastor Tim, what are you saying to me? Listen to these words. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It's too long to be wrong. You can't. It's, it's, it's eternity. It's too long to not get the directions straight. Between waste and, and good. Man, how far apart they were. I want to do my best to, to make this so clear. Because I think when it comes to eternity and when it comes to heaven, when it comes to when our life is, is over, can, can we be that far off? Can, can, can we be so far off on the thing that matters most, which is our eternity? What happens to us after we die? Let me just show you how we can be so far off. How, because, because the question is this, how do we get to heaven? Well, I, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I, I go to church. Well, no, you don't go to church because in a sense, the doors are closed. So it's not coming into a building. This, this, as beautiful as this building is, this, this, can't, this can't change you from the inside out. I'm a religious person or my parents were religious. I haven't hurt anyone. I take care of my family. Those are all good things. But those aren't the directions. Don't, don't be angry. You're far off. Because if anybody knows the directions between here and eternity, here and heaven, here and forever with God, Jesus knows the directions to his own home. 
He knows how to get there. And here's what Jesus said in John 3, 3. Jesus says to a religious man that could say, I'm a good person. I go to church. I take care of my family. He said it to a religious man named Nicodemus. And he says this, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus's words, no one, rich or poor, New York or the UK, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. This is, this is what Jesus said. And this is what people may go, and, and even where you're sitting right there, you may have those people around you going, no, 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 don't do that. This, this, don't waste your life. You're still young. Do what you want to do. You could be watching this, getting ready to go back. Maybe your university is going to open. They're going like, man, don't do this. You're part of a sorority. You're part of a, you're part of a fraternity. You're still too young to do this Jesus thing. I'm telling you, Jesus took you serious. You take him seriously today. Well, then pastor Tim, how does it happen? What is, what is this born again? How do I become born again? Really the question is when you say, how do I become born again is how do I get to heaven? Because what Jesus was saying was this, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. Many of you were born in a hospital. Now you did, and physically, now you need to be born spiritually. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that take place? It's as simple as ABC. I can't make it any simpler than that. So we tell our kindergarten and first graders, our, pre, our pre-Ks to learn the ABCs, which means it, let's just make it as simple as we can. Each of those letters stand for something that's so important. Let me give them to you. Number one, because we're dealing with born again, not my words, Jesus' words, not a Times Square church word. It's a Jesus word. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's getting honest with God that something is broken because because religion changes the outside. Jesus changes us on the inside. It's from the inside out. Religion says you got to fix all this stuff and and then you're a good person. That's not the way Jesus does he recognizes that all of us have a condition called sin and we can't fix it with a promise. We can't fix it with a program. There's not a priest or a pastor that can fix it. Only Jesus can fix it. And this is why I would tell you, I was broken on the inside. The diagnosis was sin and I had to admit that I'm a sinner. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's what he's come to do. How how does it happen, Pastor Tim? It starts with then the B word, believe. It's believing that God sent his son 2,000 years ago. We celebrate, Pastor Patrick led us to to fix us by sending his own son because we can't fix ourselves. We, We can't fix the inside of us. If we could, then why would God have to put his son through that horrific death on the cross if we could fix ourselves? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to have come and died for me. But Jesus' death was him bearing my sin, paying the price for my sin. Because he was the one who died the death that I should have died. And lived the life I didn't have the ability to live. And to give me a reward I don't deserve. And it's called heaven. It's called forgiveness. And it starts now. And then, and then to think to myself, finally, it's A, admitting, B, believing, and C, confessing. This is the big one. Confessing Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Realizing that Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, r- rise again to get us to sit and watch just a, a, a service for an hour on, a, on the internet, on a, on a webcast. That's not why he came. 
When this building opens up one day, he didn't die on the cross to get you to sit in a seat. He didn't go like, finally, they're sitting in seats on Sunday. That's not why he came. Jesus didn't come literally to get you to church. Jesus came to get you to heaven, to live with him forever. Coming to come to a religious place, a temple, a mosque, a church, that's religion. But coming to a person, Jesus, that's a relationship. That's what he came for. He doesn't want you on Sundays. He wants you, listen, every day. Religion says, give me a couple hours on Sunday. Relationship says, we walk this out every single day. That's why Christianity is coming to a person, not coming to a place. When you say, Jesus, you are Lord, you're saying you're in charge now. You're the boss. You have veto rights. You're the one that I want to direct my life. And that can happen right now. And though there may be people going, that's a waste. Don't do that. That's going to cost you. Do you understand how we could be so far off? No, no, no. This is how you get to heaven. This is how you go. And we could be so far. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And some of you are listening today going like, Pastor Tim, then what do I need to do? What's my next step? I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to decide, decide today to be born again. I want you to go, I'm not going to be far off on this one. It's not a waste. This is the most significant thing. This is the most important decision you and I can ever make in our life. Is this, have I been born again? And today that can happen. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray a born again prayer right now. It's not the prayer that changes. That's some magic prayer. But we're going to begin to pray this prayer to say, God, I want that relationship with you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I want you to be Lord and in charge of my life. And that prayer let it come from your heart starts the journey. If that's you right now, I want you to pray. And as soon as we say amen, listen to me close. Don't click off. Don't go, okay, we're done. Because as soon as we say amen, Pastor David Ham is going to give us next steps of what we're supposed to do after making this decision. Here's what I want you to do, wherever you're at, whether you're watching in a kitchen, outside, whether you're in a car, maybe you're not even watching it on Sunday. Maybe you're watching it, it, it on a Monday or a Tuesday. Maybe you're in a gym. Maybe you're on a treadmill right now. That's okay. You can pray this with your eyes open. But I want you right now, wherever you're at, if you're able to, I want you to say these words out loud. Come on, let's, let's pray this prayer together. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt and you die for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my Helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen.